Good morning. Welcome to Grove. Uh, my name is Eric Matoya, pastor of the Grove, and we're thrilled you're here. We're in a series called We Are All Blank, and I am so excited for this series. This is part four, and we're going to review in a second, but before we review, I just want to say welcome uh, to all of you guests. Thanks for coming. I'm glad you decided to be with us for uh, the service today. We'll be here for another 40 minutes, and we'll dismiss you to go eat lunch and, and enjoy uh, just the rest of your weekend. Uh, I want to say welcome to all those watching on Facebook Live or listening on the podcast. I want to say welcome. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope you guys are challenged and learn a lot today uh, from this service. Uh, we're in a, we're in a series. A series is, this is part four. So we've done three other weeks, and uh, it's going to be a good series. But before I, I jump into this, let me just kind of give you a little background for why we're doing this series. Part of um, the reason we want to do this because there's this um, idea that sometimes pops into our in our lives where we think. Uh, when you come to church, everybody around you has it together. Like the people next to you, they must—they don't know my pain, they don't know my issues, they don't know the things I've gone through. They must—they must be perfect. They probably have it all together. And can I tell you, that's one of the farthest things from the truth. Uh, we all have issues, and part of this series is just identifying those issues that we all have, so we can work on them, so we can become the people God wants us to become. And we don't want to ignore that. So I guarantee whatever you've gone through, whatever issues you have, whatever challenges or hurts or problems, there's somebody in this room that has even greater hurts and challenges or problems that they faced. Um, we can learn from each other. We can, we can uh, help each other in this journey. And so when we can begin to identify and see others uh, really as, as, um, as, as similar to us, uh, it helps us to be able to identify and to, to relate to them. And so we want, to, we want to help with that. So the, the idea of this series is this. So when we can begin to see ourselves as we truly are, we'll begin to see others as they truly are. Uh, the, the videos I've been, I've been showing from this, this um, uh, company that I just put them out there. I saw this is the first video I saw that we showed today. And I went on and looked at, researched their, their, their website and began to find these other stories that, that are in there. And uh, we've kind of just shown at the beginning of this series to kind of just kind of capture our attention to realize that uh, when it comes to people, when it comes to life, uh, there's more similarities between us and others than we think. Um, and, th- and this video, I think, just captures it perfectly. So we've been showing a different clip every week. Uh, but this is the one I saw when I first saw it. This is kind of what began this process of saying, what would it look like as a church if we begin to see others like ourselves? If we, 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 we understand that the broken and the hurting are welcome in our church. Because you are. Uh, we, our church, we decided to go after people that are hurting, that, that are lost, that, that are far from God. Um, and what happens when broken people come and gather? We have issues, and there's things that go on. It's messy. It's a messy church is what it kind of looks like. But we've decided as a church to run towards the messes and tell people, hey, if you're broken, you're hurting, you're in need, uh, we have a church just for you. Would you come and be a part? Come and visit with us. We want to help you work through these things because God will take the, the mess, and he'll take the brokenness, and he can turn it into something very beautiful. And so we invite people to join us on that. And so we said this, that when it comes to these issues and problems, if you can't name the issue, you'll never be able to solve the issue. So you can't solve it. If you can't name it, you will never solve it. Unnamed issues go unsolved. Uh, anything that, that we can't give a name to, and, and we can only begin to work on things once we identify what we need to work on. And so as long as we pretend there's no issue, uh, we'll never solve that. And all of us in this room have issues. We all have issues. I say it every week. You have issues. I have issues. Every single one of us has issues. And if you don't, we're going di- to dive into that a little bit today about your issue denial or self de- deceiving yourself and, and because you have an issue. That's, that is your issue. The issue is that you don't think you have an issue, but everybody else knows you do. And we want to help you to identify and realize, I really do have an issue. And so today we want to just challenge you with that. So part one, let's review a little bit. Part one, we said we are all crazy. And we talked about how there's a part of us and each one of us that we keep doing the same thing over and over, expecting something different. Um, that it's called insanity. We, we gave a bracelet that, said, that had these words, um, and it said, essentially it stands for, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. And we challenge people, wear this bracelet throughout the next few weeks or however long you need to until you have a new thought. Stop doing what you keep doing because you'll keep getting the same results. Learn to do something different. Have a new thought. 
great message. Um, go listen to it. If you missed it, you can catch up. Uh, part two, we said we are all broken. All of us have been through things in our lives that have caused wounds or hurts. Somebody has said something. Somebody's done something. We've experienced something, and it, and it caused a wound or a hurt in our life, and it, and it broke something in us. And we, we said we all have this in our lives, um, and we're all broken in need of, of healing, in need of help. And we said that what happens a lot of times when we try to fix those hurts or to, to, to mask those hurts or to fill, fill them, we tend to look in the wrong places for healing. Uh, this is why when we don't deal with the issue itself, we, we begin to look at other things to try to solve it, like, like drugs or alcohol or any kind of addiction, uh, shopping, whatever it is, eating. And we begin to try to, to mask and, and, and fill that hurt with these things. And what happens is the, the issue and the problem that we have is no longer the problem. Now there's a bigger problem or other problems. And so it's not, it's not so much the issue we have, it's how we respond to the issue that becomes the problem. And so we said, we're all broken. We all need to, to learn to look at the right, the right places. And then last week, part three was, uh, we are all control freaks. Uh, that was great. I talked about control freaks. We had people laughing throughout the service, kind of like nervous laughter, you know, like, oh man, he's talking about me. And uh, it was just great to, to be able to talk to people after just about some, some help that they had to understand. We all have control issues. We want to control things a lot of times that we can't control. And when we end up focusing on the wrong things to control, we miss out on the things that we actually can control and, the, and focus on the right things. Uh, we said this, that we said trying to control others, it fosters conflict in our lives. And uh, when we fight for control in our own way, it always leads to distance from God and always leads to distance from people when we try to do that. Uh, we talked about the, the frustration gap. When your expectations um, are up here and the reality is down here, that's like the, 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 the amount of frustration you have in your life. So if you're expecting something great and it comes way down here, you have a lot of frustration in your life, right? And we said that idea is to kind of meant to, to learn to, to shrink the frustration down by, by setting real, realistic expectations. So it's not so much you have to lower your expectations in life. That was not my point. My point was learn to set realistic because sometimes we set unrealistic expectations and when it comes into what life is about, we're disappointed because we set an unrealistic expectation for ourselves or for others. And sometimes the expectations we have are actually really good, but they're just going to take time to get there. And so we had to learn how to make some steps towards that. And we talked about that. We said the opposite of the frustration gap is the happiness gap. And I love this. When your expectation is here and the reality is up here, now however different that is, that's your happiness gap. And, and this is what God invites us into. He's actually saying, if you will trust me for setting right expectations in life, you'll see that the reality is going to be so much greater than you ever thought possible. And we, we, the, the, the better than factor or the wow factor, that's what we're trying to aim for. So instead of having um, you know, low expectations and, and meeting them, we're saying have good expectations, but have realistic ones. And then trust God to help you to experience even something better than you ever thought possible when it comes to your life, when it comes to your job, when it comes to family or school, whatever it is. Uh, help God to, to help you have a better reality in your life. And the last thing we said about last week was this. Um, control does give us an, an, a sense of, of, of happiness. Uh, it's part of why we fight for it, because it, it gives us security in some sense, in some ways. Um, but we said this, that um, the real answer, the real route to happiness is actually submission, not control. Uh, it's actually a false positive, because we, we feel it, but it doesn't last um, and, and the more we try to fight for it, actually the worse it can make it. But rather, if we submit to God uh, and in his ways, we actually will find happiness in that. And that was the, the point of last, last, uh, last week. So today, we're going to jump into today's message, which I'm excited about. And this is part four of We Are All Blank. And, and this is, uh, part four is, is, is an issue that um, could possibly have the greatest impact in your life, in your marriage, in your company, um, in your school. Uh, this could possibly have the greatest, because here's, here's the truth. It is probably the most common issue that we will all have. Like we could probably say this is something we can all identify with. 
Um, and it could be the most damaging issue in our lives if we don't learn to deal with it. And so here's, here's today's, here's the part four is this. We are all selfish. We're all selfish. There's a part of us where we are, um, we, we have a view of ourselves that's not always healthy. And we're going to talk about that. When, it's, when we don't learn to deal with this issue in our life, we create so many more problems that could be the most damaging that we can ever face in our life. And we want to deal with this. So I'm going to give you a definition of selfish. All right? selfish, selfish is this. The dictionary says it's lacking consideration for others, concerned chiefly with one's own personal profit and pleasure. The Bible has a lot to say about selfishness, but it also has to say something about what fuels selfishness, and I believe that is pride. Uh, the definition for pride is this, the quality of having an excessive high opinion of oneself or one's importance. Pride fuels selfishness. When we have an unhealthy or unrealistic uh, view of our own, of ourself, we actually produce um, something in us that's called pride, which with the biblical definition of pride, one of them is, is we puff ourselves up. We think we're better and bigger than we are, or, or in, in our own eyes, we become more important than others. And pride is a big issue that, uh, that really God despises. It's one of the, one of the things that, that throughout the scripture, God hits over and over and says, those people I reject. Like, I don't want proud people around me. Uh, in fact, pride is one of the, the, the things that caused us to be in all these messes in the first place. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Um, so I believe pride is what fuels selfishness. And, and if you look at the definition, look at what they're both focused on. They're both focused on the exact same thing, self. Pride and selfishness focus on self. It, it's about us. Another word the Bible uses is flesh. It's kind of like this part of us that wants pleasure, that wants to be important. Uh, psychologists call it the ego. It's, it's about us. It's, it's, it's what impacts us, um, what, what we, how we view ourselves, how we view life. And, and these two things always focus on, on self. And so we're going to talk about what, what, is it, what is it like to deal with this issue? How can we overcome this? Um, and if you, if you miss this, I promise you will... Um, wake up one day and realize that a lot of people don't want to be around you. Um, if we look at heroes throughout history, uh, p- companies, I read a book called Good to Great about companies that, that are successful. They said every successful company has a leader that's in there that fights against pride and against selfishness. They're, they're humble people. They're people that see the bigger picture, that people want to be around, as opposed to what we think a lot of times great leaders are those who fight their way in. Uh, that's not who people follow a lot of times. It's the people who are, who are willing to walk on this journey with others. If you miss it, you become like the person that's trying to drive everything, become the most important, and people around you begin to, to step back and step away uh, because they don't like it. Um, C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, is a great quote. He's a chapter on pride. And this is what he says about pride. I love it. I, think, I, I want to share this quote with you. See, he says, pride gets no pleasure out of having something only – it gets no pleasure out of having something only out of having more of it than the next person. We say people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. Because if everyone else became equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud of. He goes on to say that it is the comparison that makes us proud. It's the comparison. It's the, it's the, the pleasure of being above others. This idea that we are above others. Like we're up high and they're down low. And a proud person is always looking down because they think they're always up. And so everybody else must be looked down upon. The problem with when, when people look down on others is they have the inability to look up. It's really which is the solution to this whole issue in the first place, is we need to look to God and what he thinks about all this. So we're going to talk about this. There's, a, there's a, uh, an Old Testament um, prophet named Obadiah, and God is talking to one of the kings, and he's saying, hey, you have a real issue in your life, and because of it, you're going to fall a great fall, and you're going you're to suffer a lot. 
And this is what he says. This is what he, what he says that the issue is. Obadiah 1.3 says to the king, he says, the pride of your heart has deceived you. It's like the pride in this man's heart has deceived him. Um, he, you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, like somebody has a, a palace that lives high, looking down on others, um, whose inhabit, inhabitation is high. You who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? So this guy was puffed up. He thought more highly of himself. And, and, and God is talking to this king through the prophet saying, you need to change your ways or there's going to be a consequence. Uh, you will lose everything because pride has deceived, see, deceived you. Uh, in the Bible, the biblical definition of pride is some, somebody that's puffed up, uh, somebody that's overinflated. Um, part, of, part of that is, uh, the problem with that is at any moment they can burst and become deflated, uh, which, is, which is a really big issue. Um, it's, it's also uh, puffed up in the idea that they're empty. Like they're, they're working so hard to, to, to tell everybody there's something, but there's really emptiness there. They're, they're trying to fill, fill their life with something more. Um, and, and, and the scripture is saying that we deceive ourselves and we don't have a healthy view of ourselves. When we see ourselves in an unhealthy way, uh, we actually deceive ourselves because we begin to think of, of, of ourselves as more important, that we deserve more things. Somebody that is proud um, thinks they can get away with things others shouldn't get away with. Um, it's, that's, it's not them. That doesn't apply to them because, well, that's just not me. I'm better than that. I'm more important than that. And they're puffed up with their own, their own self-view of themselves. Um, so when we deceive ourselves and we have an unhealthy, unhealthy view, uh, there's, there's a, a Greek word that they used to use for pride called hubris. This idea that, that we think we're a lot higher and better than we are. Uh, the danger with that is the higher you go, the, the farther you're going to fall. Um, and, and for the Greeks and the philosophers back then, they, they, they believed that the reason people did wrong was because they had too high of a view of themselves. They used the word hubris. Like they thought too highly of themselves, and that is why they did bad, because they thought they could get away with it because it didn't apply to them and because their, their view was too high. Well, our current day thought is, is this. Uh, they, they've, they've did some, some psychologists, and they've been trying researching, and they think people are in prison, people do bad things, not because they think too high of themselves, but the opposite. They think because people think too low of themselves. They have too low of a picture of themselves that they're, that's their excuse to be able to do harm and damage others because they really don't value their own life, so why would they value other people's lives? And there's these two extremes. I believe the Bible says there's a different way. It's not either of those extremes. It's something totally different that we're going to talk about and learn. Um, we don't, he doesn't want us to, to give permission to ourselves for doing wrong because of either of those, because we think low or we think too high of ourselves. Um, but, but the issue is when, when we talk about pride, it's always pointing to self. Uh, selfishness is about me, my needs, my wants, how important I am. And the thing with self is it's always loud, and it's always drawing attention to itself. Uh, your, your self is always loud, always drawing attention to itself. And, and, and an indication, if you, if you know if, you, if you're proud, is when, when others do something maybe louder than you, you want to be louder than them. Why? Because you want to draw attention to yourself. When somebody succeeds in something, maybe a coworker or a family member, um, pride will be, will be that part of you that says, oh, man, I'm not celebrating because I wish that was mine, not theirs. Um, pride, there, there's different ways you can, you can look in your life and say, um, do I have this in my life? But when it comes to pride, here's one of the principles the Bible teaches that whatever you feed is going to grow. Whatever you starve will die in our, in our life. If you, feed your, if you feed your your pride in your flesh, that part of you is going to grow stronger and stronger until it does a lot of damage. But if you starve that part of you, it will eventually get weaker and quieter. And there's a part in us that God wants to raise up that's deeper. It's called our spirit that he wants us to, to live from, not just from the flesh or from pride. Um, what you feed grows, what you starve dies. In fact, uh, cancer, when people get cancer, it feeds off of negative uh, of things that are inside of you that aren't healthy, uh, sugars, uh, Things like that, it begins to, to fuel itself and grow. Well, pride is like a, a spiritual cancer. It's a cancer of the soul. And when you feed it with the wrong things, it will grow bigger and, and stronger until it eventually will, will kill you. 
Um, I, I read a story about a doctor in the 1800s. He was a, a, a doctor who would deliver babies. Um, and in his, in his wing, um, the, 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 uh, the death rate for the women that would come in and have, have deliveries was 1 in 10. So every 1 in 10 ladies would die. They, they feared this place. Nobody wanted to give, to give uh, their birth there. Uh, they don't want to be a part of that. Well, in his wing, it was 1 in 10. And then in the wing next door, which were midwives who delivered the, doc, delivered the babies, not doctors, their, their mortality rate for, for women giving birth was 1 in 50. So this doctor is trying to figure out, why is it 1 in 10 women die in my wing, and is it 1 in 50 in, in their wing? Like, what's going on here? Like, I, I don't understand this. So he began to try to do some research or trying to figure out what's causing this. Uh, people are afraid to go to, to his hospital. Um, and so at, some, at one point, this man leaves to go to a, on a trip somewhere else, and, and the, the, the rate begins to rise. Like, it's no longer, uh, or fall, I should say. It's no longer 1 in 10. It, it, it improves while he's gone. Well, he comes back and he's thinking, why did it improve while I was gone? What is, what is the connections here? What's going on? In the 1800s, they didn't understand about germs. Germs was a big deal. Well, it turns out this doctor was also doing experiments and, 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 op, and, and um, doing uh, some research on cadavers. And, and in the process of this, he was actually carrying the very thing that was killing these women. Uh, he was the carrier of this thing. And so as he would operate and do these other things on or, or, or experiments on cadavers, when he would go deliver, he would actually be transferring the very germ, the very disease, the very thing that was killing these women. Uh, so he came up with a, a solution. We will wash our hands with this lime and these different things uh, before we, we, we give, um, uh, d- deliver babies. And so he began this process, and, and it jumped up. All of a sudden now, uh, the, the, the rate of these women dying began to improve uh, drastically. I think it turned into one in every 100. Uh, that would actually was dying because of that one change. Well, here's the thing: that man was a, was a carrier of the very thing that was killing others. And that was that that. And, and, and at one point, he says, "I can't imagine how many people, how many women died uh, at an early age because of the very thing I was carrying." Can I say this is like pride? Pride is that very same thing. We carry a disease in ourselves that can spread and that can hurt others, um, and we're un, sometimes unaware of it. Um, I'm, I'm going to, Timothy, in the book of Timothy, Paul is telling this young pastor, this young leader, all right, here's some things I want to help you to, to encourage others, teach others. Um, and so in 2 Timothy 3, 3 through 5, he, he, he begins to tell and encourage him. He says, Timothy, you should know this, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. He goes on to say that they will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. We talked about self-control last week. It's an important thing. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like that. People are going to put on this air. People are going to... He's saying, stay away from people that have this kind of thing. Pride is a big part of this. Um, it, it fuels all other kinds of evil things in our lives. Pride is one of those root things that causes a lot of this. And God despises it. He hates it. Um, and one of, one of the books that I recently read on marriage, a great book. If you're, if you're married, I would encourage it. It's called Love and Respect uh, by Dr. Uh, Emerson Egerich. Um, a great book. And, and, and essentially he's saying that in, 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 in marriages, they're just part of... of when it comes to conflict, uh, I'll give you a picture behind me. It's called, he calls it the crazy cycle. He says what happens is, is one spouse uh, responds. They say something. Uh, they, they, they say something or do something, and one reacts. Typically, it's the man will react without love. Um, and then the wife, she's offended by his, his action without love. So she reacts without respect, 
And then he reacts out of uh, anger because she didn't respect him. So he responds out of without love. And it's called the crazy cycle because every response is out of an emotion, out of a feeling that is a negative thing. And it gets them on the way called the crazy cycle. Have you guys been on the crazy cycle? You don't have to raise your hands. All right. I saw a couple of hands up. We, this doesn't just apply to marriage. This can apply to, to work. This can apply to family. We just sometimes jump on this crazy cycle where we respond in a negative way, and then they respond in a negative way, and then we respond in a negative way, and there goes the cycle on and on and on and on. The answer is to get off the crazy cycle is to, you have to choose to respond in a healthy way. All right, they said something that, that was without respect. I need to choose now to respond in love. I need to re- choose to respond in a healthy way. A big part of what fuels this is pride. Why? Well, they said something. Don't they know I'm better than that? Don't they know I'm better than them? Don't they know? And when somebody says something to us, we respond because now it's not that they hurt our feelings because our feelings aren't hurt. It's our ego that has been hurt. It's our pride. And we step in and say, don't they know who I am? Like, I'm really important here. You know, at the grocery store, somebody's taking a long time in front of you. Well, don't they know I'm I'm important that I have somewhere to be on the road? Somebody's driving really slow in front of you. Don't they know who I am? I, I need to be at work. I need to be at whatever. And we begin to get really worked up and really feel fired up. Right? Why? Because they're, 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 our, our pride is getting in the way of saying we're more important. The answer is we have to learn to see ourselves the way we need to, the correct way and respond the correct way. Um, and in another book preparing for this, I would encourage you, if you're a leader, if you, you, if you work, um, any, any, I guess anybody can read this, but it's a great book for employees and employers or employees. It's called Leadership and Self-Deception. It's probably the easiest book you'll ever read, but it has so much good insight. You know, even what we're talking about today, how, how, to, um, how, how to respond to others. Uh, one, one of the points of the book, it, it, this guy is trying to make a point to one of his, his workers. He says, when, when you talk to people, do you see them as people or do you see them as objects? And he asks this question, and they begin to go on this dialogue, well, what does that look like? What, what do you mean by people and objects? Um, do you see people as, as people or do you see them as objects? Because objects, they get in our way, right? So uh, there's a goal that I have to get to, and this person is, is stopping me from getting to my goal. So now they're an object that's blocking my way. Um, they, 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 they get between us and the things that we want in life, whatever it is, whatever that is. Um, somebody gets, our kids can become objects. Like we want to do something. We just got home from work. Our kids come up and say, hey, let's play. It's like, oh, don't you know I really have a lot of good, important things to do? And now they become an object, something that's in the way of what we want to accomplish or do. Do we see people as people or as objects? See, objects are things that we can move, we can use, or we can dispose of. Objects are, are things. You know, back in the, in the feminist movement, they used to say that uh, that we are treating women as sex objects. You know, People used to think that was just a metaphor, but now science has actually proven that is not a metaphor. That is actually a reality in our culture. They did some studies, multiple studies, to, to see how the brain works when it comes to how we view people. And here's what they did for their study. Uh, they would show a picture of a man in, in, in a swimming suit and in his underwear. Uh, and then to that same person, they would show a picture of a woman in a swimming suit and in her underwear. Uh, they would show these pictures upside down, sideways, right side, you know, these different, different ways to kind of see how the brain would react to these things. Well, this is what they found. When they would show a picture of a man in his swimsuit underwear, uh, when, the, when the people saw that picture, the part of the brain they used was the same part of the brain that processes human faces. So they see the man in, in a swimming suit, a face, human face. That's the part of the brain that activates and, and shows it. When they show a picture of a woman in, in her swimming suit, the part of the brain was not the face one, but rather it was the part of the brain... Um, that processes tools and objects. There's a big, big significance in this because the rules for tools and objects are different than the rules for human beings. 
See, the rules for tools are, well, if it's not doing its job, I replace it, I throw it away, I get another one. And when we see people as objects, it's the same way. It's not doing its job, it's not giving whatever I need to give, we replace it, we get rid of them. Huge significance in this study. It says our culture is actually programming us to now view women as objects. This is why, why pornography is so dangerous, because it's, it's not a person we're looking at, it's an object. It's a commodity. It's, it's something we can use and abuse. It's something for us, and, and there's, no, there's no thought about the other person on their side. I believe in technology can, can turn people into objects, because it's pixels on a screen. It's not a person. How many of you guys watch the news and you see the, um, the hurricane that's, that's devastating Haiti and, and, and the East Coast? How many of you guys really think of people that are there that are, that are, that are suffering and going through this? I don't. It's a picture of people. It doesn't affect me or impact me that much. But when I'm there, if you're, if you're in, in the suffering with them, it's like all of a sudden it's like, wow, somebody needs to help these people. Don't they see these kids that are hurt or these people that are hurt? Why? Because when you're next to them, they're people. But when they're on a screen, they're just, they're just pixels. They're just not really reality in our mind. Does that make sense? When we're driving a car, we don't see a person in the car. We see another car. We see an object keeping us from wherever we want to be. And we're more important, right? Like, why are they driving so slow? Don't they know who's in this car behind them? It's me. I'm important. I need to get to where I need to go, and they need to get out of my way. The person is taking too long. The, the, the server day at your, your restaurant. Don't they know who I am? Like, I'm really important. They should be faster than this. Why? Because they're not people. They're objects. They're just something to give us a service to pr- pr- produce or provide something for us. They're not really a person. But if we begin to think of people as people, we begin to think, man, I wonder why that person is going slow in front of me. It's possible he got the worst news of his life, and he, or she has, he or she, and they're driving really slow because they're crying. They can't even focus. They're not even thinking. It's possible they're going through something difficult. It's possible they left 20 minutes early like you should have, and they're not in a rush. Right? And they're like, my life is good. Just cruising along. Like, man, that guy is so smart. I should have left 20 minutes early too. Right? Because it's a person that is thinking and processing. The people that... that, that, that come against us that argue that whatever uh, get in our face because the crazy cycle a big part of it is we actually say something negative to get a negative response so it gives us permission to be negative or to be hurtful or hateful and people actually it's kind of a sick thing but people actually do things hoping to get the negative response so it gives them permission to ram their car into the car in front of them does that make sense and we actually get in this cycle ourselves why because of pride because we think of ourselves in an unhealthy way and it causes us to react and, and do things. So there are serious consequences in any society that treats sex as a product and women as a thing. In my life, one of the things that helped me, because at a young age, it's, it's very obvious the enemy wants to introduce pornography to, to men as young as, and women as young as possible. He wants to awaken something that's actually very beautiful that God gave us. He wants to awaken it and, and pervert it and distort it. And he tries to awaken this, this sexuality inside of us to, um, to, to, to bring pain into our lives. And, and the place in my life when I began to overcome that desire to look at things was when I began to realize these are people, not objects. Like, I can't imagine somebody looking at my daughter the way I'll be looking at this screen right now. I can't imagine the pain that this, this person has gone through to get to this place where she thinks this is the only way to be able to whatever. And you say, well, that was their choice. In some cases, it is. But other, other ways, it's not just their choice. They're being exploited. They're people, not objects they're people not pixels on a screen and until we begin to see them as that we will only use and abuse and and hurt others because they're just objects not people 
We can say it like this. There are serious consequences any time we treat others as objects. We ruin relationships. Because why? Because we think we're more important. That something to be used. It's a, they're commodities. They're goods and services to buy or sell or use. And in our, gen, in our culture of being consumer, uh, cons, consumers, we consume things and we move on to the next thing. This is huge. This is one of the reasons God says pride is so bad because it creates us to, to, to be, believe something about ourselves that's not true. Let me, let me show you where pride entered into this whole scenario. All right? So God made an angel named Lucifer who was, who was brilliant. He was smart. He was beautiful. And, and it, the Bible says that, that he got pride in his heart and, and wanted something that he didn't have. He wanted to control. He wanted to become God. In, in Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, this is, what it ta- this is how it talks about Lucifer. It says, How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you were cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nation. Pride is what caused our world to be broken in the first place. Pride always leads to more problems, right? Continues on. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the furthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to hell, to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. So he has these statements of, I will accomplish these things. Get, get this. They're all about him, him and what he's going to accomplish. It's about pride. It's about being puffed up. It's about an unrealistic view of, his, of himself. And this caused him to lose his place in heaven and, and, and the kingdom of God. This is what caused him pride. And then he used that very thing to uh, distort and manipulate and tempt Adam and Eve. Why? He says, don't you know God is holding something back from you? Like God is no longer God. He's now an object standing in your way of happiness. He's saying you can't do this, but you can. You'll become wise like him. And he deceives Adam and Eve with the very thing, pride. You're more important than this. He's really holding something back from you. He's not a good God. He's hiding something. You should take it for yourself. And they make a decision out of that. Another, another verse that talks about Lucifer. It says, your heart was filled with pride because of your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of your splendor, of the splendor. Get this, there's another, another passage I'm going to read, and this is, this is where God makes some I will statements also. But notice the difference. In Exodus 6, 6 through 8, people of Israel are in slavery. God tells Moses, speak to these people, tell them I'm going to free them from slavery, and this is what I'm going to do for them. He says, Moses, tell them, therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. So he makes these statements, I wills. In fact, the, the it, Hebrews will celebrate this every Passover. It's these four promises that God made to them. And he fulfilled those promises. He brought them out of slavery. And because of Jesus and because of the cross, these promises still apply to us. God still wants to do these things in our lives. At our church, we built our church around this. We, we, we say these four things are this. He wants, God wants us to know him. So we want people to know God. Um, we want people to find freedom from their, their, their issues, uh, from their, their um, addictions, from their hangups, whatever it is. We want people to discover purpose. And we want people to make a difference. Those are the four promises God was trying to make to the people of Israel. I want, you to, I want you to be saved. I want you to know God. I want you to find freedom. I want you to discover that I made you for something specifically, find purpose. And then I want you to be a part of a family, part of a team that makes a difference. And these are the promises that God now extends to us because of the cross. See, God went to the cross to die on us. He says, I want to give you these things. And notice the difference. Lucifer's I will is all about me. 
Jesus, God's I wills was about others, about serving, about helping others. We can say it like this. We are all selfish, selfish, but he is selfless. Jesus is a picture of God's character, his, who he is. And Jesus was a, was a person that was selfless. He was humble of heart, he even explains about himself. Um, Paul, I'm going to give you a scripture where it talks about Jesus being selfless. Um, Philippians 2, 3 through 10, Paul wrote this when he was in prison. He was writing in the church of Philippi. You would th- this man, he, he wrote a lot about humility. And he just, he lived it out. He understood that his position was to help others. That he was here not just for himself and for gain for himself, but to help serve others, to help connect others to Christ. And throughout, throughout his letters, he writes a lot about pride and humility. He's encouraging others. But in this one specifically, in, in, in prison, as he's suffering, he writes his happiest letter he ever wrote. And in it, he talks about the opposite of how, how we deal with selfishness. He says like this, Philippians 2, 3 through 11, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. And he gives you the, the, the antidote. He gives you the solution. But he says, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Don't be puffed up. Don't be full of pride, but be humble. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others also. He gets this concept of humility. In another, in another verse, he tells the church in Corinth, in fact, he's saying, all right, so he's trying to correct them and help them, help them to do the right thing. He says, you know what? I don't even care what those people think about me. In fact, I really don't even care what I think about my, the, myself in this situation. Really, I'm concerned with what God thinks. It's not about what they think. It's not even about what I think. It's about what God thinks in the middle of this. He's, he's saying we, we care more about the right view of ourselves and what God has for us. He goes on to say in Philippians, he says, you must have the same attitude of Christ Jesus that, that Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to or to hold on to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So he goes on to tell us that, that Jesus is a, is a picture of what we are supposed to be. We don't grab and cling on to our rights, but we say, God, we trust you for these things. Humility is not worrying about what others think about you, nor is it worrying about what, other, what you think about yourself, but it's caring more about what God thinks. That's what real humility is. It's not the two extremes of thinking higher of yourself or thinking less of yourself. Because what's the solution that we tell people about low self-esteem? Well, you have to learn to think higher of yourself. What is that? answer is pride. That's not the solution. The solution is to get the right perspective that God has. It's something better than, than, than either of those sides. It's caring about that. It's not worrying what others think, but worrying about what God thinks. Um, another way to say this is the answer to selfishness is not thinking more of yourself, nor is it thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. It's not think, having a higher view of yourself, not having a low view of yourself, but it's just saying, I'm going to think about myself less. It's not always being thinking about me. It's not always about me. See, because a misplaced sense of worth is the opposite of humility. We call this pride. When we, when we misplace it in a high view or a low view, neither of those helps us in this situation. But it's saying, God, what do you think about this? Help me to think less of myself and more about you, more about what you have to say about this. It's not focused on, on self um, but, and even what others think all the time, but it's saying, God, what do you think in this situation? See, so gospel humility is really being selfless. So we are all selfish, but God is He's selfless, and he invites us to join him in this journey. Be selfless. And here's how you become selfless. You become selfless by thinking of yourself less. You become 
selfless by thinking of yourself less. When you're in that car and you're frustrated because somebody's going so slow, stop thinking about yourself so much and what you're feeling, your ego, and begin to say, what is this really going on? Why am I getting so frustrated here? God, give me the right perspective here. When somebody says something negative to you, what, when something rises up within you, what is, what's going on here? Why is, why is that happening? So here's my challenge for us today. Um, if we're going to become selfless, we have to learn to be honest and, and realize like this is an issue we all have. We all have a, a part of us that we're selfish, and pride fuels that. And we learn to, to combat that by being humble. So here's our challenge. The challenge is this. Learn to think of yourself less by thinking of people as people and not as objects. Learn to think of yourself less by treating and thinking of people as people, not as objects. This whole week, I, I, I guarantee you, when you encounter somebody, th- the first thing that's going to pop in your mind is, wow, is this an object or is this a person that I'm talking to? And if it's an object, you're free to say whatever you want to say to those people because they're just, they're just something to be used and abused and, and to whatever. But if it's a person, you understand they have issues, they have things just like I do. Because people are people, they are not the enemy. People are people. We all have issues. They're not the enemy. And God invites us, would, would, would you help? Let me help you to have the right perspective when it comes to life. Um, some of you in this room, you came to church. This is your first time in a long time, or maybe you haven't come for, maybe this is your first time ever. Uh, a big part of what we are trying to do in this place is, is really say, um, this all has to get to a place where we understand that God has a good plan for our life. Um, and you came today. It's not an accident you came today. I'm not, I'm not saying you, you had to hear this message. I think you did. But uh, there's something more to it than that. It's God's invitation to break this in our lives. It's God's invitation to, to invite us to overcome these things in our lives, these issues, these challenges. I'm going I'm to read a, 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 the rest of that verse that we just read in Philippians. There's the end, end of it. And I want to just point out something uh, very specifically, especially to you that, you that came, that you, maybe you're not a Christian or uh, um, a churchgoer. Maybe you're new to this. I want to just point out something to you that, that in the middle of all that we face in life, God is trying to help us on this journey. See, in Philippians, he says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Think of others as better than ourselves, but better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take interest in others too. You must have the same attitude of Christ, Jesus. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God to be something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. We gather because of that last statement. He died a criminal's death on a cross. You know whose death he died? Your death and my death. The Bible says because we all have issues, we've all sinned, we all fall short of what God has, we deserve death. Like the punishment for our sin and our um, iniquity is death. Like somebody has to give an account for all the things we've done. And we can't live a good enough life to be able to give that account to God. So when we, see, when we go to the courtroom, it's us trying to say, God, we're really good enough. He said, your good enough is not good enough. But I'm going to give you a way out. My good enough is good enough. And he sent his son to live and to die a criminal's death so we don't have to die that. And then he gives us the invitation that says, you can either fight your own battle in court or you can accept my, my payment for it. And he sent his son to stand in our gap, to be our Lord, to be the one that stands up and says, I'm going to take their punishment. But it's all contingent on us accepting that and beginning to follow his lead. 
It goes on to say this, Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names, that the name of Jesus every knee will bow. In heaven and on earth and under earth, every tongue will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of, the, of our Father, of God the Father. Because Jesus humbled himself, God elevated him. He has the same invitation for us. Will you be proud and puffed up and do this all on your own? Or will you humble yourselves, admit that you need help, and invite God into this, into this journey, into this life, that he would begin to lead you on this, on this journey? Would you humble yourself to, under, to say, I need help. I can't do this on my own. And God invites us. And, and it says if we humble ourselves, God actually embraces us and joins us. But when we're proud, he oppresses and he pushes away. He doesn't want that. The choice is ours. The grove is a place where we all come and say, we're not perfect. We all have issues. We talked about the issues. We're broken. We're control freaks. We're selfish. We're all crazy sometimes. But God is the solution for all those things. We're selfish, but he's selfless. And he gave his self for us. And he says, now will you join me in this journey of being selfless also? Would you join me on this journey of being healed and not broken? Would you join me on this journey of controlling yourself and controlling things you can, not trying to control others? Would you join me on this journey of being sane and whole, not crazy? He's always the solution to our things, to our issues, to our problems, to our needs. Would you do me a favor? Would you close your eyes and bow your head today? As you close this service, would you, um, in your own in your own thoughts, in your own heart, would you just ask that question today? God, um, why am I here? What, what's going on here? What do you want to do in my life? As I was speaking, some of you, I think it finally clicked. That's why God died on the cross. That's why Jesus sent his son to die on the cross. Is to take your punishment, to take your place. And I think it may be starting to make sense to you of saying, oh, wow, that's why we'd gather on a Sunday. That's why it's so important we talk about Jesus and the cross. And maybe you're here today, and for the first time, you're actually ready to say, I get it. And I, I want to follow God's lead. I need his help in my life. If that's you today, I want to lead you in a prayer. I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm just going to have you raise your hand in your seat. It's just the first step of saying, God, I invite relationship with you. Help me break pride in my life. Help me to understand that I need your help. If you're here today and you'd like to pray that prayer, would you just lift your hand? Awesome. I see those hands. I see those hands. It takes a big person to admit that we need help. Why? Because pride wants to get in the way and say, no, you don't. You have it all together. No, we don't. And only God can help with that. Anybody else? Awesome. Before you raise your hand, I want to just I want to lead you in a prayer. It, the Bible says that if we confess our sins, he forgives us of those things. Of all our past, it's like he wipes the, the slate clean and says, let's start over. So if you raise your hand today, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's invitation of relationship. It's acknowledging that we need his help. So pray this prayer with me. Raise your hand. If we have other Christians in the room, I want to join us in this prayer. So don't pray alone. Join us. Say, Father God, today I admit that I am a sinner. And I am selfish. And I need your help. Forgive me my sin. Break pride in my life so I can become more like you. Help me to live with humility. Help me to see others as people. I believe you died on that cross for me. 
And because of your death, I'm made right. I believe you're alive today. You have good plans for my life. Help me to live those plans out. Be my God. Lead me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.